Homelessness is reaching epidemic proportions in California. Statewide, there are more than 130,000 homeless people. The crisis of housing and homelessness in California is uh, a monstrosity uh, of, of giant proportions. Land use regulations in some of the places where people most want to live limit the supply of new housing. Subsidized affordable housing is illegal in the significant majority of San Francisco. So if you can see a new building and you're about four feet tall, there's a presumptive adverse impact. Just one of many ways that CEQA's changed over the years to really protect what we no longer really think about as the environment as we did in 1970. More than half of all unhoused homeless people in the United States live in California. Clearly, something has to be done. And welcome back to day two of Cato's conference on crisis, housing, and homelessness in California. For those of you who weren't here yesterday, and for those of you who just don't find me very memorable, I'm Michael Tanner. I'm a senior fellow with the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C., and I'm the director of the Cato Project on Poverty and Inequality in California. The Cato Project is a multi-year look at why California, a state with economic growth, uh, pockets of enormous wealth, strong social safety net, still has the highest poverty rate in the nation and the fourth highest level of inequality of any state. We're going to be looking at a variety of issues over the next few years, uh, including criminal justice reform, educational opportunities, uh, economic inclusion. But in particular, right now, we're focused on the issues of housing and homelessness. As I've been out and traveling your state, meeting with many of you, uh, you've told me over and over again that we really can't deal with the problems of poverty in, the, in California until we really do something about housing and the growing crisis of homelessness. Yesterday, we were focused heavily on barriers to affordable housing, and we're not going to forget that. We will be coming back to it. But right now, we're going to lean a little heavier into the issue of homelessness, uh, which uh, you see many of you every day on the streets of your cities. So we're going to talk a little bit about how uh, we ended up with so many homeless in California and what can be done to solve the problem. Uh, particularly in light of the COVID epidemic, uh, the homeless tend to have more health problems, tend to be older, uh, so you tend to have a great many problems there. We have a real good lineup today of speakers from across the political spectrum, uh, political officials, housing activists, and we're going to start off today with uh, Corinne, Buch uh, Corinne Buchanan, who is the Assistant Director of Housing and Homelessness for the California Department of Social Services. That must be a very large business card. Uh, get all that in. Uh, previously, she worked uh, for the LA Department of Health Services and also for the San Francisco Department of Public Health. So she's certainly gotten around uh, California and has an idea of what's going on uh, with this growing crisis. 
So with that, Corinne, I'm going to turn it over to you and you can tell us a little bit about what the Newsom administration is doing and what needs to be done. Great, thanks so much. Just gonna start a presentation here. Great. Well, hi folks, my name is Corinne Buchanan. Um, and again, I serve as the Assistant Director of Housing and Homelessness for the California Department of Social Services. I'm really um, pleased to be joining you today and honored to be joining you today to talk a little bit about um, homelessness and our approach to ending homelessness in California. And I look forward to doing so um, through the lens of our approach to COVID-19, which I think really lifts up um, some of the real deep inequities uh, that we experience and um, the impact people experiencing homelessness. So um, let me just quickly ask if you can see my presentation, I apologize. Yes. Okay, great. Wonderful. All right, so I'll start by introducing you to the Department of Social Services. Um, uh, the mission of the California Department of Social Services is to serve, aid, and protect needy and vulnerable children and adults in ways that strengthen and preserve families, encourage personal responsibility, and foster independence. So our Department of Social Services here in California is responsible for programs that uh, serve adults, uh, programs like Adult Protective Services. We're also responsible for those programs that provide cash aid and food programs. Um, so those are uh, programs such as TANF and food stamps. And then we are also responsible for the child welfare system as well. I'm sorry, Corinne, can I interrupt you just for a minute? Can yep. you put this into, into presentation mode, I guess, uh, from, well, from the beginning, I guess the- uh... Yes, there we go, how's that? That'll do it, thank you. Great. We'll just have to, I apologize, one second. Oh, Zoom. Okay, great. So next, I'll tell you a little bit about um, our work within the Department of Social Services to address housing and homelessness. And we do that through a dedicated branch specifically focused on this work. Um, our vision is to empower communities to end homelessness and to promote housing stability for all Californians. Uh, our work, which started in 2014, has served almost 400,000 families and individuals across the state. So we do this work um, by funding uh, county at the county level. So most of our funding flows directly to counties. We're then responsible for administering programs. We distribute about $250 million annually to county departments of social services. Our programs are specifically targeted um, to the clients of those county departments of social services programs, specifically for people who are on, uh, on CalWORKs, which is our TANF program in California. Uh, we have programs specifically for people who are part of adult protective services, uh, programs specifically for people with, uh, with disabilities, and then also a program specifically to serve the housing needs of families who are a part of the child welfare system. So our work um, is very much about collaboration 
Um, we're working uh, providing technical assistance to locals. We're working with many other state agencies who, who uh, join us in this collaborative effort to address homelessness. And then of course, we couldn't do this work without our federal partners, most importantly, um, housing and urban development, um, which of course uh, provides a significant level of support to states in their work to end homelessness. Um, and then our work is also really about providing targeted technical assistance. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like later in my presentation. So um, before we start to talk about the COVID response, I just wanna take a second to describe um, our approach to uh, ending and addressing homelessness in California. And that is just coming from a real uh, deep belief that solution to homelessness is in fact housing, um, which uh, seems quite obvious, um, but is really important. Our work is really about quickly connecting people to housing resources. And we do that through an approach that's called housing first. And what that means is that we try to connect people to housing as quickly as possible um, without any uh, preconditions or barriers to entry into housing. Um, historically, some of the approaches to ending homelessness have required that individuals are completely med adherent or um, abstinent before they're connected to housing. And um, many decades of research have helped us to understand that in fact, the best way to end homelessness across our state is to connect people to housing very quickly. And then once someone has a roof over their head, they're much more able um, to address other issues that may be impacting their lives. Um, so what does it take uh, to ensure that all Californians have access to safe and affordable housing? I'll walk you through a few of our strategies. Again, as I mentioned, um, we're connecting individuals to the right housing intervention. Um, you may have heard in science this concept of the minimum effective dose. Um, so there are some individuals for whom you can make short-term, um, lower-cost investments that will end that person's homelessness. An example is a program called rapid rehousing, and that means connecting someone um, to a shallow and short-term rental subsidy while also connecting them to really intensive employment services so that, so that eventually their rental subsidy can taper off and they can take on a higher percent of the rent um, in order to eventually gain housing self-sufficiency. Other individuals who are experiencing homelessness are likely to need long-term deep housing subsidies to be able to maintain housing stability, as well as really intensive supportive services um, in order to address um, are there any disabling conditions or any other barriers to maintaining housing stability? So it's all about making sure that we're targeting uh, the right intervention for the population in order to best use the limited resources that we have to end homelessness. The next point I wanted to make is about the importance of coordinating services. Um, while providing someone a key to their own apartment um, is great, gets us halfway there to our goal of ending homelessness, it's very important um, that uh, that individual is connected to ongoing case management services. And what that means is a great deal of coordination at the local level between behavioral health providers, between physical health providers, um, between other departments of social services to make sure that people are connected to the resources that they will need to be successful in the long term. So Rat, this is really um, the, the ultimate goal of breaking down silos to treat the whole person. Another important um, in, uh, effort underway is to help people experiencing homeless, homelessness um, to increase their access to employment opportunities and income. In many cases, uh, for people with disabling conditions, this may also mean um, advocating for SSI or disability income for those individuals. 
um, which would allow them to have uh, the resources that they need to maintain housing stability. And then lastly, um, we're really focused on investing in what works. So using data-driven evidence-based practices, make decisions about how we invest our dollars um, in, in hopes of uh, really moving the needle on homelessness across the state. So next, I will just um, talk to you when we're moving into COVID land, because um, that's where we've all been, frankly, I, I imagine, for the not last number of months. But I want to uh, tell you about the work that we have been up to over the last number of months to respond to COVID-19, specifically for people who are experiencing homelessness. So um, you uh, probably can imagine, um, and as we talked about in the intro, um, people experiencing homelessness often have um, higher rates of health conditions, our, our older populations, um, but also those individuals who are living on the streets or especially in larger congregate settings are at higher risk for, uh, for COVID-19 because of the, the close quarters in which they live. Um, you can also imagine that access to sanitation and healthcare and a, um, a safe place to quarantine or isolate if someone is positive or exposed is particularly challenging for people who are experiencing homelessness. So because of those reasons, California acted very swiftly to launch an effort which we refer to as Project Room Key. This was a locally administered um, but state-supported initiative to provide emergency housing in hotels, motels, trailers, these non-congregate settings um, for individuals who are homeless in order to uh, mitigate transmission, um, in order to reduce hospital surge, because we knew that the, these would be individuals who, uh, because of their health conditions, would be more likely to be hospitalized were they to become um, uh, infected with COVID-19, and then also to protect human life. Um, we set an initial goal across the state of uh, supporting local communities to secure 15,000 units of these non-congregate sheltering settings for people experiencing homelessness. And I am happy to share that um, as of today, we have uh, exceeded that goal and have secured over 60,000 hotel rooms for this purpose across the state. This represents a very significant amount of work. And I was just deeply inspired to have worked with locals across the state and in, um, in supporting this effort. Um, and I'll tell you more about all it took to stand up these resources in such a short period of time. Um, the state made $150 million available specifically for COVID response for people experiencing homelessness. Um, and much of that funding was specifically um, used to serve, to, to implement the project room key effort. Um, all right. So um, how did the state, what, what exactly did the state do in this effort? So in addition to funding um, various state agencies, so this was a multi-state effort led by the Department of Social Services, um, provided public health guidance, training materials, and really uh, deep investment in technical assistance to counties to stand up these sites. Also our Department of General Services, uh, played a role in doing the hotel motel identification and helping to negotiate the occupancy agreements for these hotels. Um, as you can imagine, this was uh, took quite a lot of um, uh, collaboration and we've been just really um, so thankful for the hotel industry for their willingness um, to help respond to sort of stand up um, and help us as a state respond to COVID-19 by making their hotels available for this very urgent emergency need. 
our, our role, <clears throat> excuse me, was also about supporting the connection to essential behavioral health and healthcare services, including telehealth in these sites. Um, very important uh, that there was access to the, to the services that are needed most for this very vulnerable population in order to support, uh, to, to get the kind of positive um, outcomes that we've seen thus far. Um, in many instances, the people who've been placed in Project Room Key sites are individuals who may not have been well connected to the homeless system of care before the crisis. So this has been an incredible opportunity to make sure that those individuals get connected to the medical care um, that they may have been missing out on um, in years past. Um, our role is also about ensuring that the deployment of resources matched the need in counties with significant homeless populations. And those counties were also experiencing high concentrations of COVID-19 transmission. So being able to have that, that, that bird's eye view was really important um, as a state role. So um, uh, one of the very key factors in our ability to stand up this emergency response was the fact um, that we are receiving uh, FEMA reimbursement for many of the costs associated with standing up Project Room Key. Uh, California was the first state to obtain approval from FEMA to provide these emergency non-congregate shelters. Um, and FEMA was very specific about who could and could not be um, uh, eligible for this reimbursement. So for FEMA, the work, uh, this work is, is um, really about serving people who are, have, tested positive for COVID-19. Um, people who have a known and documented exposure to COVID-19. And then also individuals who have a high risk for medical complications. Um, so that would be people who are over the age of 65 or who have other chronic health conditions, which make them a very high risk for, um, for a need to be hospitalized or, um, or more serious complications would they become infected with COVID-19. So that's the, the population that we've been very focused on in this effort. So in terms of the lessons learned from Project Room Key, I wanna lift up for you all um, that again, as I mentioned, this was a very significant um, lift and a real increase in I think what communities could do to end homelessness and to bring people inside. Um, we have, since the program launched, served over 22,000 individuals um, across the state. And just to give you a sense of scale, um, the number of hotel rooms that were brought on to do this work meant that the number of shelters across the state increased by 50% in a matter of months. Um, and I think what this helps us do is to demonstrate to, uh, to stakeholders across the state that homelessness is not an intractable problem. In fact, um, with, the, with the will, um, with the resources, um, and with the heart of our um, counties and all of the service providers who were involved in this work and the business community through the um, hotel industry, we actually can come up with creative and innovative solutions to end homelessness. Um, uh, we just, we, the work now is really about um, making sure that all of the effort and the momentum and the relationships um, and the people who've, who moved indoors through this effort, that that, that um, great momentum can be continued as we move forward um, in responding to COVID-19 and in our fight to end homelessness. I wanna just quickly lift up a couple of lessons learned. Um, we learned very quickly that it's important that our emergency response systems prioritize people experiencing homelessness. 
and that those responses are guided by a public health lens. As I mentioned before, collaborations were very key, um, making sure that we had public health at the table um, to ensure that decisions we were making um, would lead to good medical outcomes, and then also our partners who are doing emergency response um, to ensure that they are thinking about the people experiencing homelessness. This is also certainly true as we've been responding to wildfires across the state, um, making sure that our systems are, are thinking about the unique needs of this population. Also cross-agency collaboration and partnerships were critical. Um, you, can't, you can't do uh, work at this scale without bringing everybody on board and everyone had to do their part. Um, so homeless continuums of care, counties, cities, um, nonprofit sector, all came together, the business community all came together to be able to make this happen and it wouldn't have happened if one of those, um, one of those partners hadn't been able to, um, to give it their all. And then lastly, it's very important that we start planning for rehousing efforts right away. Um, we know that this is an emergency response and that these hotels will eventually um, go back to their normal use of serving tourists. Um, so we are focused and have been very focused on supporting communities to, um, to plan for how they can connect people to ongoing housing supports to maintain housing stability as they exit project room key sites. Um, so individuals who are positive or exposed are typically staying in project room key sites for a 14-day quarantine period. And those individuals who are at high risk for complications are often staying for longer periods of time since the hotel rooms really serve as a protective factor against contracting COVID-19. I'm also excited to tell you about um, uh, one of the next stages in our work for this population in the COVID response, and that is Project Home Key. So um, we uh, are working in partnership with our uh, Housing and Community Development Department um, to provide $600 million in funding specifically um, to do especially acquisition and some rehab um, of uh, a variety of housing sites, including hotels and motels, and many of those that were actually used for Project Room Key. Um, so hope some, some of the partners we've been working with have said, um, well, would you be interested in actually purchasing this asset so that it can be, become a long-term um, housing resource to serve people experiencing homelessness? Um, I am happy to share that to date um, of that 600 million, 236 million um, has already been allocated for 20 projects across 12 communities, and that will uh, bring almost 2,000 units of housing online, which will now be a part of the ongoing infrastructure we have in the state um, to address homelessness, which is very a really exciting opportunity um, and an important part of our ongoing protective efforts against COVID-19. So um, lastly, I just wanna leave you with a couple of thoughts about how we build on the success of um, the COVID-19 effort and all of the other work that we've been doing in the state to end homelessness. Um, and that is that we need to continue to focus on using evidence-based practices in our work and are really investing in data systems that allow us to understand the outcomes of the various initiatives that we administer at the state level and also at the local level and using that data um, to target our investments as we move forward. 
Secondly, um, we are learning that it's very important um, and really investing in the um, mechanisms that will allow for the voices of those with lived experience of homelessness to be part of both program design and implementation. Um, we uh, have discovered, and there are many stories, especially even through Project Room Key, um, of the ways in which the voices of people with lived experience have led to better service delivery and more impact um, in all of our program offerings. And lastly, um, we are uh, very committed to using a racial equity lens in all of the policies and programs that we administer um, within, the, within the state and certainly within the Department of Social Services and the Housing and Homelessness Branch um, and are uh, infusing our practices um, a model that would allow us to address racial disproportionality. Um, we know that um, especially uh, Black people experience homelessness at a disproportionately high rate. Um, and we are examining all of our decisions and all of our programs um, to look at ways in which our work can have an impact on that um, racial disproportionality in the homelessness system. Um, so with that, um, I'll close and I look forward to doing some question and answers with folks. Thank you very much, Corinne. And we do have a great many questions that have already come in. Great. I want to remind everybody that they can participate in this conversation. If you're on the Cato main event page, there's a box for you to simply ask questions there. You can also ask questions through Facebook or YouTube. And finally, you can ask questions on Twitter using the hashtag Cato California. And we will try to get to questions from all, uh, all these sources here. I'm going to start off with a, a question that came in. Um, what about your, tell us a little bit about your work with nonprofits. Do you work with nonprofits and religious organizations? Uh, have they been successful? Are some types more successful than others? Uh, what kind of experience have you had with them? Yeah, so um, most of our work is directly with counties. Um, so we fund counties who then are responsible for administering programs at the county level. And um, by and large, most of our counties um, work very closely and provide funding to nonprofit organizations who are able to deliver services on the ground um, and uh, you know, have the cultural competency um, to be able to do this work effectively. So a great deal of the work has been carried out in terms of the direct service by nonprofit organizations. Um, and uh, we have the opportunity in many cases to hear the success stories um, and have gotten to know some of the major players across the state in doing this work. Um, we certainly, we would not have been able to, to do this Project Room Key effort if it weren't for the dedicated network of nonprofit organizations across the state who are committed day in and day out to ending homelessness. Terrific. Yeah, I know that they can be very effective and have a lot of different approaches than, than what the government can do directly. Um, here's a question that came in from Robert. Uh, question is, why are you, uh, why is the administration investing so heavily in high cost areas like San Francisco, where ho hotel rooms presumably are very expensive, as opposed to uh, doing more out in the Central Valley or Northern California, moving the homeless to those areas, rather than, you know, LA and, uh, and San Francisco or Orange County? 
Yeah, so um, when we make investments at the state level, we take uh, quite a lot of care to focus on uh, geographic equity. Um, so ensuring that all parts of the state receive opportunities and access to dollars that would help them end homelessness in their communities. Um, so we are uh, thoughtful about that. The uh, great resource for us in our ability to make sure that our investments are responsive um, to the needs of that community is through what's called an annual um, point in time count. Um, so this is an, an effort that is mandated and funded by HUD. Um, so across the state every year, um, actually I should say every other year, uh, and in some cases every year, some communities choose to do it every year, but HUD requires that every other year um, we do an intensive um, census of people experiencing homelessness in a particular community. And so we use that information um, to target our investments um, to make sure that communities have the resources that they need to address the homelessness in their community. Terrific. Um, another kind of cost question here is that wouldn't it be, someone's asked, wouldn't it be more cost effective to prevent displacement in the first place rather than to try to intervene afterwards uh, and, and deal with sort of the, the problem after it's occurred? Yeah, I think um, our response to that is that we've got to do both things. <laughs> it's definitely a, um, not an if, but sort of an or, but an and. Um, it's very important, especially as we, um, we we think there may be increases in homelessness due to the economic fallout from COVID-19. So it'll be very important um, to continue our investments in preventing people from entering homelessness. But at the same time, we know that we have people who are um, in, in very, significant need who are experiencing homelessness currently. So it's important for us to use our existing dollars that we have um, to invest in ending homelessness, especially for those who are most vulnerable um, and who have long histories of homelessness. Um, that, so we've got to do, we've basically, we've got to do both things. Yeah. Yeah, in, a, in, a, in kind of a, a similar vein, but I think from a different direction, uh, Getting, I've gotten several uh, questions that are roughly of the idea that, look, home, housing is not a solution to homelessness, that the homeless are largely substance abusers or mentally ill. Homelessness is simply a symptom of their other problems. Uh, isn't it more important to deal with those other problems and, and stop spending a lot of money on housing? So what we have found in our work serving people with really complex behavioral health conditions is that when we provide someone a roof over their head, um, they have a sort of much better success rate in terms of reaching their own client-driven goals. Um, so our approach um, has been to really try to serve those people who have the longest histories of homelessness and the most complex medical conditions. Um, and to do so, we have to create low, uh, housing resources that have low barriers to entry. Um, or else those are individuals who simply will not be able to serve in our system of care. Yeah. Similarly to that, uh, you know, you've, you've talked a lot about housing first and that there's research that supports that housing first is the most effective approach. Uh, some people have suggested that transformational housing is better for some people, uh, that some, different, uh, different approaches work better for different people. Are you putting to some degree all your eggs say in one basket on this? Yeah, um, I think um, community, many communities are approaching this differently, um, but we would just wanna make sure that we have housing resources in our continuum 
um, that, again, as I mentioned, have that low barrier to entry and that can, allow, can keep people housed over the long term. So we care a lot about um, our housing stability metrics and want to make sure that um, we're successful in serving people, even those who have really serious um, and complex behavioral health conditions. So I think it's really about also helping our um, community-based substance use treatment system of care to become really um, uh, competent in serving people who are homeless. Um, and in you know, what that often means is, for example, um, rather than expecting someone to come into um, an outpatient clinic, how can we more effectively bring to scale field-based clinical services where we can meet clients um, in their homes or where they're at? Um, thinking about how we, um, how we orient our system of care to be most responsive to the unique needs of this population. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but uh, someone came back with a question about studies that show that adding 10 units of housing first only reduces homelessness by one person. Is that, uh, is that a cost-effective approach? Yeah, you know, we have found, um, again, by focusing on people who are the, have the highest, um, the most chronically homeless, long histories of homelessness, and especially people who are the frequent users of our healthcare system, um, uh, that those individuals in particular um, will uh, we will see cost savings in the, in the healthcare delivery system when we provide housing to those individuals. But I'll also say it's really important to acknowledge also just the, the other benefits of, of um, addressing homelessness and really making sure that people, all, all of Californians have access to safe and affordable housing is just impact on, I think, our, um, our social fabric as a state um, and also just the health outcomes for those individuals um, for whom uh, we can connect to housing resources. Um, Jim from YouTube actually has a very basic question, which is probably one of the questions we should all start with here, which is why does California have so many homeless people? It's what, around 130,000 or more. It's about half of all unhoused homeless in the country live in California. Uh, why? Yeah, I think there's actually a, um, uh, a pretty simple answer to that, and that is our affordability crisis. We have a really true um, affordability crisis in our um, uh, our housing market here in California. Um, we know that many of the communities like San Francisco and Los Angeles are among the most unaffordable um, uh, communities in the in the country um, when you compare our um, median income to our median housing costs. So um, we've got a serious affordability crisis. Um, and, and I know that you spent a great deal of time talking about that yesterday as well. So lots, lots, lots of work happening on that front. Yeah, we'll be coming back to that one today too. I have the feeling that there's going to be a lot of discussion of housing costs and the relationship to homelessness as we know that they, they are interrelated. Um, getting a few cost questions here. I, one points out that, you know, if you have a, what is the unit cost uh, for purchasing hotel rooms essentially for the homeless? If you have 130,000 homeless now, plus people who might move there since you're providing housing, uh, is the state really prepared to spend that kind of money? Yeah, so I think this is, um, again, uh, our strategy is twofold. Um, expanding that housing stock 
um, and dedicating new housing resources specifically for people experiencing homelessness is one part of the strategy. And then another part of the strategy is um, partnering, continuing to partner with um, uh, federal housing and urban development um, department and local housing authorities to use rental subsidies. So this is a big part of the ways in which um, counties and cities are addressing homelessness is by uh, using federal uh, rental subsidy vouchers, often referred to as Section 8 vouchers and other, um, some, some cases, locally funded rental subsidy programs in order to um, make up the difference between what a market rate unit would cost and what a person experiencing homelessness would be able to afford. Um, so again, this is the um, uh, uh, you got to do everything strategy. Um, we've got to focus on uh, building up our stock of housing while we also need to uh, use rental subsidies in order to be able to immediately end homelessness uh, for, for many among us. Um, I guess kind of feeding off this cost question, uh, I've gotten a few questions to the effect of, look, the state's been trying this for a long time. You're spending a lot of money. You have all these programs. Homelessness just continues to get worse. Uh, isn't it time to, to, you know, try to do something different? Yeah, I think it's about investing in, um, more deeply in what we know works. Um, and the, I think the only way for us to do that is by coming together as local government, as state government, and as a federal government um, to deepen our investments in what works. And again, as I said, this is going to be um, even more important um, as we are continuing to deal with the fallout of the um, uh, the economic impact of COVID-19. So we will we will need to come together. I think at all levels of government um, and uh, the business sector, the social services sector, the community-based organization sector, um, to really deepen our impact and our investment in making in making this happen. It isn't a it. Uh, it will it will take a lot of work, um, but I think what we have demonstrated through Project Roomkey is that it is possible. Um, it's, not, it's not easy, um, but it is something that's doable. Uh, in the, it's a couple of different questions came in. Yesterday, we spent a great deal of time talking about affordable housing. And I don't wanna sort of drag you into that one here, but there is, the question is how do you balance the need to add more housing supply uh, the way say Asian cities do and high, you know, higher density housing to keep housing costs low versus the sort of nimbyism that we have here. Uh, I'm gonna to add to that question that, which came in off of Twitter from Kilojoule. Uh, I'm gonna ask, you know, how about housing for the homeless? I, you know what the Embarcadero Center went through in San Francisco, the navigation center to try to uh, put something up there. Uh, Newport Beach blocked the navigation center in its city. I mean, you, you, how is it to get services for the homeless and to get housing generally through when local communities are so uh, against these sort of services? Yeah, I think is, this is a real, um, a real serious issue. And I was happy to, um, happy that you've got the Yimby voice um, here uh, as part of the conference. But, um, you know, again, I think um, we were able to do a lot of this work through Project Roomkey because there was political will associated with um, a, a desire to respond to the, the pandemic. And that's not to say that NIMBY issues did, did pop up. They emerged um, as we were trying to stand up these Project Room Key sites. Um, 
but because there was um, sort of the public will, I think we were able to do this work. And again, um, I, I hope that it's about um, helping people to understand um, how uh, when we do permanent supportive housing and when we provide um, housing resources for people experiencing homelessness, if we do it right, um, we can actually uh, be an asset. These housing settings can be an asset to the community. There are many really beautiful um, housing sites specifically for people experiencing homelessness um, that are just, I think, uh, great models for what, what, um, uh, what an asset they can be to the community. Oftentimes they include um, uh, mixed use and beautiful retail spaces um, and other community assets as a part of the buildings. So I think good design is an important part of hopefully changing hearts and minds. Um, and then also uh, helping communities to understand that by creating housing opportunities, we can end homelessness for people who they see on the street every day in their own communities. Uh, Thomas from Facebook asks, how much of this money that you spent 25 million say goes to the homeless and how much of it is, is uh, you know, they're not seeing that in their pockets. Uh, is it just going to uh, hotel owners and landlords and other uh, people who make money off the poor? Yeah, so the, the resources um, that uh, are invested in ending homelessness through our department, I can speak for my, my Department of Social Services, again, they flow through the counties, um, and then um, uh, they fund uh, rental subsidies, um, they do fund emergency housing um, or hotel vouchers, um, they fund supportive services, they fund disability advocacy, um, uh, outreach resources. So the, the funding is all geared towards um, helping that person um, get connected to housing and then to maintain their housing. And so that does take, um, as I mentioned, the rental subsidy in order to make up the difference between um, the market rate and what someone can afford. Um, and it takes um, investing in uh, a social safety net or um, a, a supportive services provider who can help that person to, uh, to actually get connected to their housing resource and then to be able to maintain that housing resource, uh, to really be connected to their own community and to get connected to medical resources and get connected to behavioral health resources. Um, uh, all of the resources, the employment support services, um, what it takes to help, to someone, help someone to be successful in their community. Uh, you've got, you're going to eventually come to an end with the, uh, the eviction moratorium that's uh, going on right now. That sh is that, are you planning for that? Is that going to lead to an increase in homelessness? Obviously it can't go on forever. You can't continue to shift all the costs onto the back of landlords. That certainly is not fair or effective policy. Uh, what's going to happen? Yeah, so um, there are uh, lots of lots of planning happening both at the state, federal and at the local level. Um, communities across the state have also received um, funding through the CARES Act directly from the federal government. Um, many of those are dollars uh, that can be used. It's a uh, housing and urban development program called the Emergency Solutions Grant. Many communities are already thinking about how they can use those federal HUD funds um, to really make sure that people uh, have the supports they need um, when the eviction moratorium does end in order to avoid uh, 
any new entrances into homelessness and so that people can stay in their homes. Um, so uh, many, 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 many um, people across the state are building uh, local systems of care to be able to address that need, um, which, which um, is, is, is really important. Well, thank you very much, Corinne. We really appreciate your taking the time to be with us today and uh, uh, the presentation and to suffer the slings and arrows of our, uh, of our audience. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Uh, we're gonna now going to take a 15-minute break. Uh, the next session, uh, the growing crisis of homelessness, will begin at 11 o'clock. We have an all-star panel for that one, and we hope you'll stay tuned. Uh, in the meantime, feel free to visit the uh, homepage for Cato's Project on Poverty and Inequality in California for more information. Thank you all very much. Let's take a break. <laughs>